Hi, listeners. This is Understand South Carolina, a weekly news podcast from the Post and Courier. I'm Emily Williams. The United States has just sworn in its 46th president, Joseph R. Biden, and Kamala Harris, the first woman and first woman of color to be vice president. House Majority Whip Jim Clyburn, the lone Democrat in South Carolina's delegation, was the chair of Biden's inaugural committee. Clyburn endorsed Biden just days before the primary here in South Carolina last February. Biden's early win here became a key turning point in the race for the Democratic nomination. Clyburn tweeted Wednesday afternoon that Biden and Harris, quote, represent a new era of opportunity for unity, not just in the United States, but across the globe. That theme of unity was expressed throughout the ceremonies on Wednesday, but just two weeks prior, America watched as the Capitol was stormed by a mob of supporters of President Trump. A week later, lawmakers impeached Trump for a second time, this time for inciting an insurrection. So how did South Carolina's congressional delegation, which is largely made up of Republicans who backed President Trump during his four years in office, respond? On two key votes, a Republican member of Congress from South Carolina broke ranks from their GOP colleagues in the House of Representatives. This was done by two different people on two separate votes. We'll explain those today. First up, Nancy Mace, a freshman member of Congress who just unseated Democrat Joe Cunningham in November to represent the Low Country. She was a vocal supporter of Trump during her campaign, and he supported her too. But she started her first week in Washington with a plan to cast a vote that was seen as going against President Trump. We spoke with her about that in her chaotic first days in Washington. So we're talking now on Tuesday, January 19th. How would you describe your first two weeks in Congress? It's sort of like hell week at the it out is what they used to call it when I was a cadet my freshman year. The first hundred hours was hell. I mean, literally, I, I never thought I would ever experience anything like it. And I hope to never experience that ever again in my lifetime. So let's briefly go back to January 6th. Coming into that day, I know our reporters at the Post and Courier were in touch with you because you had shared how you planned to vote. And you were planning to vote differently from your Republican colleagues in the House by voting to uphold the results of the election. So can you first briefly speak to that vote? I I pride myself um, in really following our Constitution in, in all of my votes. And even when that means I don't like the outcome. But everything that I read said to me that the certification process of the Electoral College from a constitutional standpoint was largely ceremonial. There was no path for any member of Congress to overturn, overthrow the outcome of the Electoral College. That is up to the states. The states determine their election law. The states determine their slate of electors. Now, the only time that Congress would be able to to be involved with changing the outcome of the election, or at least having a vote on the outcome of an electoral college slate, is if a state contested their election, or as if a state sent more than one slate of electors to the U.S. Congress to make that decision on their behalf. That really is the only way within the Constitution and that you would be able to do that. And I joined myself with many other constitutional conservatives like Mike Lee and uh, Thomas Massey and Chip Roy and many, many others on this position. And this was not this was not a difficult vote per se 
from an ideological or principled standpoint, this was the principled vote. But I, I do think that sometimes, you know, people worry about retribution or fear or worry about the next election. And I just don't, I don't operate in that manner. Two years from now, it's going to be what it's going to be. But I, I promise the people of South Carolina's first congressional district that number one, I would be honest. Number two, that they would always know where I stand and why. And um, I've been very forthright and honest with voters, even when I know that they're going to disagree with me. But it was just really important to be consistent in how we how we embrace the Constitution. And the Constitution is the same reason why I voted against impeachment, because a rushed impeachment, weaponizing impeachment, totally eliminated due process. And if we eliminate due process for the president of the United States, what's the means I mean, what what limits are there on government to 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 prevent that from happening from just any normal regular citizen? And so I really believe and truly that we've got to have the Constitution as our guiding principle. Um, and that should be that way for everyone, regardless of your politics. So we're, of course, looking at things here from a South Carolina perspective. And I want to hear what did you hear from constituents prior to January 6th, knowing how you were planning to vote? And then also wondering what you've heard after that day as well? Previous to the January 6th vote, I mean, I was getting lit up by, by constituents about uh, when, when the Post and Courier hit that I was going to certify the Electoral College because I was the first one in the delegation to come out attesting to that. And then Senator Graham and Senator Scott followed suit a few days later. However, I was getting hammered on phone calls, emails, texts, on social media. I could put up a picture of me and my children, and you just get a thousand comments tearing me apart. And, you know, it made me really sad to see that because these are people that I value their opinion, I value uh, their viewpoints, I value their challenges in life. And to, to, not be, to not be able to convince them that this was what the Constitution said really, it made me sad. Um, and because so many people, millions of people were spoon-fed lies about the Electoral College and what Congress could and could not do. And in fact, I was really grateful to see Vice President Mike Pence stand up for the Constitution and say, hey, by the way, I'm not allowed to overthrow the Electoral College either because the president said that that the vice president could do that when, in fact, it was that was just simply not true. And so, you know, it's going to take a lot of time for people to reconcile what they were told versus what the truth was. And, you know, it's not going to happen overnight. But post January 6th, the comments almost flipped identically. So where the majority were attacking me, in fact, my life was threatened. I mean, on, on Facebook, someone threatened to shoot me on Facebook, a constituent. And um, not the first time, I'm sure, and won't be the last. But post-January 6th, the comments really had been far more supportive and um, of my position. And there were some people that are upset I didn't vote for impeachment. But my reasoning for not voting for impeachment is the same reason why I voted to certify the Electoral College, because the Constitution is my guide. I literally carry around a copy of the Constitution in my purse. I made a solemn oath to follow that document in every decision that I make as my principle. And so, you know, and, and you know, today I, I still hear from, from folks that are upset, but I hear a lot of encouraging encouragement as well, even if it's quietly, people are afraid to speak up. They're afraid that what their neighbor might do or their friends or their member of their church might say if um, they were public about it. But we were receiving a lot more encouragement today than we were two weeks ago. And that gives me hope for the future. The other silver lining in all of this, and this is one of the things I talked about in my campaign, but reaching across the aisle. And, you know, I'm not going to agree with Democrats on literally uh, the majority of things. Our, our, our end goal is the same, but how we get there is going to be different. 
But I am very, very, very encouraged by the Democrats and even seasoned members of Congress in my own party and the Republican Party who've reached out to me and have encouraged me to continue to speak up and speak out that 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 voice needs to be heard. I want to be a new voice for the Republican Party as we rebuild our party and rebuild our nation. But I've heard from a lot of Democrats uh, as well that want to work with me on legislation. And I think it's really important, especially when we're the minority party and we've lost both the House, the Senate and the presidency. That's the reason why I'm the lead sponsor on the Republican side with Charlie Chris on the Democrat side to give a gold medal, congressional gold medal to Officer Goodman uh, for his heroism during January 6th. I mean, there will be opportunity for me to work with members of the Democratic Party in the next two years. And, and I will look to find ways to do that, that one are in line with the district and two in line with the constituents and three in line with my principles. Officer Goodman, just to clarify for listeners, is a Capitol Police officer who is integral, of course, in, in protecting lawmakers that day on January 6th. And I wanted to ask you briefly to describe what you witnessed that day. I, I couldn't fathom what had happened. Five people died. And if you look at my pictures from my social media that weekend traveling up to D.C. with my children, I'm a single mom. I've got two kids in middle school. And you can see their backpacks loaded, loaded up with their schoolwork. So because of COVID-19, they've been unable to go back to school and they're doing virtual school. And the plan was that they would travel with me to D.C. and we would do virtual school that week from my office, that they would get to roam the halls of Congress, be part of be part of this swearing in. Uh, It was a historic swearing in being the first Republican woman elected to Congress, being part of all that. They they wanted to do that. And I. I was like, great, we'll have the first week up here. This will be awesome. What a great experience. What a history lesson. What a civics lesson. But by Sunday night, I just I just felt really uncomfortable with the message I, messages I was receiving, the rhetoric I was seeing online, even from members of my own party, the president on down. It just, it made me really uncomfortable. And I had a heart-to-heart conversation with my kids on Sunday night. I booked them a flight that evening for the first flight out of town on Monday morning. And I said, guys, I love you, but I just, I'm worried that if something, if you're here and something happens, I need to get you guys out of town. And I told him I loved him. I got them up at 5 a.m. the next day out of the hotel at six and to the airport by seven for a flight, you know, at 8.30. They were, they were sad about it. They didn't want to leave, but they also understood. And when, when this event happened, I cannot, I cannot, words cannot describe the feeling that you go through, through this kind of traumatic experience. And I've heard from members of Congress this week who are seeking out counseling because of what we just went through. And, and, you know, days and weeks later, um, I think we were really coming to grips with with what actually happened. And I was in the chamber that afternoon before rioters stormed the Capitol. And then at one point I was stuck in an office in Longworth. And then on my way back to my own office, I was stuck in a tunnel with a hundred other people underground when all this was going down. And when you look back at how just how much of a sitting duck, not only I was, but my staff, my staff was in danger. Our lives, our lives were in danger. We weren't secure. We weren't armed. We were, we were literally sitting ducks. All we had were pieces of furniture that could protect us if we needed it. Thank God my kids were not there. Thank God I sent my children home because I don't know that I could have forgiven myself. I can't defend the indefensible to know that if I hadn't sent them home out of concern, out of worry about violence, that they would have been with me that day. And it's devastating to me as a Republican because everything that we've worked for for the last four years is gone. Even if for those that believe that, you know, and I agree with them wholeheartedly on election integrity and voter fraud, things we need to look into, but we don't have the ability, we don't have, we don't get to have a say now because we've lost so much ground. We lost so much credibility 
We allowed our party to be led by QAnon conspiracy theorists who led us into a constitutional crisis. We don't have the grounds to stand up right now. We have to rebuild our party and rebuild our our nation and and regain the trust of the American people, which is one of the reasons I've been so vocal. You've mentioned your vote on on impeachment and you did vote against impeachment, but also have said that you hold President Trump accountable for the events that day. So I'm wondering, the article of impeachment did pass. Like I said, we're speaking now the day before President-elect Biden's inauguration. What does holding President Trump accountable look like right now? There were other options on the table during this process, but the Speaker of the House wouldn't allow those options to be brought up for debate or even for a vote. To continue this kind of division in this country is just wrong. Impeachment is supposed to be a deliberative process. You're supposed to open up an investigation. It should go through, whether that's a special committee or judiciary committee process, it should be investigated before you vote on articles of impeachment, which we did in a two-hour-long debate on the floor one afternoon last week. I mean, that's not the way it should be. We don't eliminate due process. I'm not even for the president of the United States. And so um, it sets a very dangerous constitutional precedent to do that. It is important that we hold people accountable on down. And um, and that'll be done in the press. It's being done in the media right now. I believe that we'll see fallout from this. The more we learn, the worse it gets. But I believe the fallout will be long and wide for months to come. And I wanted to ask about those safety concerns. Do you feel safe when you're home in, in South Carolina? How has the events of the last two weeks changed, you know, how you're operating in this first month of being in office. Yeah, I would say I feel a hell of a lot less safe today than I did two weeks ago, a month ago. The threats are real. I have to take them seriously. And as a single mom, I have to do what I need to do to protect my family and my children at the same time. The events that transpired were wrong. Threats on people's lives are wrong. I mean, that's so antithetical to the American experiment where we should be able to debate ideas and be able to agree to disagree and not be attacked. That is forgotten on on, on some people in both parties right now. And it makes me really sad and heartbroken for our country. After a mob supporting President Trump stormed the Capitol on January 6th, five Republican members of the South Carolina congressional delegation went on to vote to object to the certification of now President Joe Biden's electoral votes. Senator Lindsey Graham, who's positioned himself as a close ally of Trump over the last four years, voiced his dissent on the Senate floor that day. Graham opposed ousting Trump from office, but pinned some of the blame for the violence at the Capitol on President Trump. Uh, Trump and I, we've had a hell of a journey. I hate it being this way. Oh my God, I hate it. From my point of view, he's been a consequential president. But today, first thing you'll see. All I can say is uh, count me out. Enough is enough. I've tried to be helpful. But when the Wisconsin Supreme Court ruled four to three that they didn't violate the Supreme, uh, the Constitution of Wisconsin, I agree with the three, but I accept the four. If Al Gore can accept five, four, he's not president. I can accept Wisconsin four to three. Less than a week later, Graham was on Air Force One with President Trump flying to the border wall. When the House of Representatives voted on an article of impeachment last week, every Republican member of South Carolina's delegation voted against it, except for Representative Tom Rice of Myrtle Beach. Rice's vote came as a shock, 
so much so that some people thought he had pressed the wrong button by mistake. But his vote was no accident. I'm Tyler Fleming. I'm a government reporter here with the Post and Courier in Myrtle Beach. I've been covering Myrtle Beach and Congressman Rice for the past nearly three years now. So Congressman Rice has held District 7 for its most modern iteration. He took over the seat after the census in 2010, uh, gave Myrtle Beach, Georgetown, and kind of the, the, the northeastern area of South Carolina its additional congressional seat. I, I think he's largely seen as a pretty likable guy. He's a tax lawyer by trade, so he's very much you know into tax law and the finances and economics. His campaigns have always been very focused on tax reform, economic reform, and bringing more jobs to the area. But he's been a very loyal supporter of the president. He campaigned for Trump and Trump, you know, campaigned for him here. There were billboards with, you know, President Trump and Tom Rice standing together on Highway 501 going up and down the road. So he was very much seen as, you know, kind of a, a Trump loyalist. I mean, he hasn't been primaried in a while. So I think that's pretty indicative that he was seen as a strong candidate even through, you know, just a couple months ago when he was running in November. Going into the vote on impeachment, was there any indication that Representative Rice would be voting to impeach President Trump? It was a political earthquake here. There certainly wasn't any indication that he was going to go that far. First, just for context, uh, he's the only member of Congress that voted in favor of the protest of the election results in Arizona and Pennsylvania and voted to impeach the president. So he's kind of in a club of his own in some ways. But no, I talked to him shortly after the riots at the Capitol on January 6th. He was upset. He very much said that the reason he voted to protest the election results was a matter of constitutional law and election law. It had nothing to do with keeping the president along for four more years. And he concluded with saying, you know, it's time for the president to leave, that he should go ahead and, you know, start packing up his bags. But still, I mean, it was clear he was upset with the president, maybe more upset than a lot of his Republican colleagues. Like in our interview, he explicitly called out like Senator Ted Cruz as someone he sees kind of stirring the pot and leading to this lie. He called it that, you know, the president would somehow stay in power despite the election results. So, I mean, that's one of those hindsight 2020 things where like now looking back on that, it seems like, oh, maybe there was some signs that Mr. Rice was getting ready to break lines. But no, I mean, he's been a loyal Trump supporter, a pretty early Trump supporter. But no, I think after seeing how the president reacted, he decided to do it. I think a lot of it had to do with the uh, two police officers that died. I talked to him almost immediately after his vote to impeach. And that was one of the first things he brought up was the fact that, you know, two police officers were dead and the, the president had to, you know, really consoled the families, visited those families. And he seemingly was more interested in staying in power than actively, you know, encouraging and being there for the country, especially the people that were hurt and harmed. But still, I, I certainly did not think he would be the only Republican in the South to break ranks with the party and vote to impeach. Those first couple hours after the vote, either they, the Republicans didn't know about it or they were still in such shock. They were kind of like, you know, Tyler, can you call us back in a couple hours and we have a chance to think about what just happened? I want to just briefly read from Representative Rice's statement that he put out after that vote, and that's, I have backed this president through thick and thin for four years. I campaigned for him and voted for him twice, but this utter failure is inexcusable. So really kind of going to what you explained about this being kind of a vote of conscience for him, right? 
none of us can figure out like what would be the advantageous political strategy to voting for impeachment here. Certainly, I mean, more people in this country know the name Tom Rice than they did a week and a half ago. Even people in the state <laughs> probably know more about Tom Rice because I mean, he doesn't get the same kind of attention that, you know, the Charleston representatives get or like the Columbia representatives get that change with one vote. It seems like it was a conscious vote or there's just something that I'm really missing and everyone else is really missing about why he did this. Give us a better idea of his district. So we know, of course, that South Carolina is is a red state and President Trump easily won South Carolina in the 2020 election. But what about his district specifically? Ori, which is the population center of his district where, you know, the, the political money, the political consultants, and the political power is. It's heavy red. Like we wrote a story recently basically presenting the, the facts of, you know, Ori County kind of emerging as the, you know, Republican stronghold of the state. I mean, even as topping the upstate in terms of just the the percentages of going red. It's a very red area, especially in the area that he's from, the area he really needs to carry to win re-election. It's Trump country as well. You have a lot of Northerners that moved down here, like you know, some of the former steel workers, union workers that have kind of emerged as this new voting block for Trump. Then you have a lot of the more establishment Republicans down here. Driving around the area, you saw way more Trump signs here in Ori. There were there was a huge like Trump mega store on Highway 501 when he drove into Myrtle Beach. Almost any highway, it, it was clear. You you, vis you didn't have to guess. You could just visually see how this area fell politically. I, and you were just driving around the state. I don't know if I saw as many just like large displays for the president, the, the former president now, uh, as I did here in Ori. And I know discussion of Rice being primary, you know, meaning, of course, a Republican challenger or challengers coming out for the next election. That came up almost immediately right after this vote. What have you heard? Are there already possible candidates? And did Representative Rice speak to that at all? It is clear he's going to get primaried. You know, the school board chairman already saying to us that he's interested in running against him. Several other kind of local politicians and even some political newcomers kind of, you know, posting in conservative Facebook pages saying, you know, we, we want to primary him. Like I said, he won a, a very contested primary his first election. But since then, he hasn't faced, you know, super stiff competition since. So uh, it's going to be interesting to see how he handles that moving forward. I and mean, he spoke to it and said, yeah, if they primary. I'm just going to hope my constituents saw I, I did what I was right and what I always try to act in their best interest. Otherwise, at this rate, who knows what happens over the next year and a half going into the next election season. Who really knows? But I, I, I would say with almost confidence that there are going to be people that rise up against him unless something just really unforeseen and drastic happens between now and then. What about just the general response from constituents and from uh, other members of the GOP in that part of South Carolina or in other parts of South Carolina? What are what are some more of those those general reactions that you were hearing? Yeah, I think initially it was kind of shock. Like, did he push the wrong button or then that shock for some people turned to anger. And I mean, his Facebook post was filled with people, you know, calling him a traitor. A former mayor started circling a petition that he needs to resign immediately. 
that was more of like the general kind of pro-Trump was quickly turned to anger and, you know, we need to do everything we can to oppose Tom Rice moving forward. I'd say for more of the political establishment that knew him, it was more frustration, I think, than anger. Like, I, I don't think any of them doubted Mr. Rice's sincerity in the vote, but it was more, you know, why us? Like, why did we have to be the Republican area that, you know, is now going to be remembered as the one that had the representative that voted for impeachment? And what does this mean for the party? What does this mean for the perception of the party to like those those loyalist Trump supporters? But I think there were a, a fair amount of Republicans that, you know, saw this as a conscious vote. And, you know, even if they didn't necessarily agree with it, at least appreciated that their congressman was willing to become an independent thinker, break with party lines and, you know, say what he thought was right. And like you said, you spoke with Congressman Rice after this vote and as Someone who has interviewed him before and and followed what he does in Congress. I'm wondering what was a key takeaway or just something that he said that maybe would give some understanding to people who are still maybe wondering why did he vote the way that he did? I would say the thing that frustrated him the most that explained it was just the hole that was left on January 6th. Like, I think, you know, most of us expected the president to, you know, directly and strongly condemn violence and, you know, kind of treat this as a national tragedy. Uh, I, I think that's how Congressman Rice saw it was, a, you know, a national embarrassment, but more importantly, a national tragedy that, you know, all these people lost their lives. I, I think that hole of leadership is what frustrated him the most that was what he talked about the most and just how let down he was i mean and you gotta think like he was in those chambers when they started banging on the doors like he brought that up like the worry and you know what's gonna happen to not just you know himself but other people there that he cared about in the house i think it just really weighed heavily on him one thing that strikes me is they didn't have a statement ready the rice team didn't have a statement ready this isn't like a pr lesson I just think it really came down to the wire for him that, you know, he was going into there not entirely sure what he was going to do. And we know he talked to some political consultants that morning that told him to do you know, what he thought was right. But I don't know. I feel like if it was more clear what he was going to do, they would have had a more immediate response to it. I mean, there were like legitimate journalists claiming that he just pushed the wrong button. It, it struck me that there wasn't like immediately a response ready to this like monumental vote, like probably the career defining vote that he was going to have. House Majority Whip Jim Clyburn was the only member of Congress from South Carolina to vote to both uphold the results of the election and to impeach President Trump for a second time. In a speech on the House floor ahead of the impeachment vote, Clyburn said that the survival of democracy depends on candidates peacefully accepting defeat. This president's refusal to participate in the peaceful transfer of power and his role in the exciting of the last week's violence pose an existential threat to our constitutional democracy. This threat must be extinguished immediately. This president must be impeached and convicted, and he must be prevented from ever attempting to seize power again. That is all for today. Thanks so much for listening. For more politics coverage from the Post and Courier, please sign up for our Palmetto Politics newsletter. We'll leave a link in today's show notes for you to subscribe. 
And remember, if you sign up for our weekly Understand SC newsletter, you'll be the first to learn about new episodes and you'll be entered to win a free pair of AirPods. If you have comments or questions for this show, write to us at understandsc at postandcourier.com or tweet us at understandsc. You can also leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, which helps other listeners in South Carolina and beyond to find our show. Thanks, and we'll be back next week. Understand South Carolina is a production of The Post and Courier. Our music is by Billy Fountain. You can stream his music on Spotify at Billy Fountain. We'd love to know what you think of this show. You can reach us at understandsc at postandcourier.com or on Twitter at understandsc. If you're a fan of this show, please rate and review us on the Apple Podcasts app. Keep up with the latest headlines at postandcourier.com. We'll see y'all next week.